If you would stand for reading of God's word, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. What discerners must do? Test all things. Test all things. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, the theme. Oh, goodness, does anybody know the theme? Oh, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, it's not a guess, you know that you have eternal life. We went through three tests. The doctrinal test, the number one doctrinal test is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? and that he died for your sins. Do you believe in Jesus? The lifestyle test. Do you obey the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And then the social test is this. Do we have love for the brethren? Do we have genuine love and concern for those who are in the body of Christ? Now, last week, we talked about we can know that we are of the truth. We can know that Christianity is true. We can know that we're immersed in the truthful path to God, the only path to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can know this by following the evidence. We know Christianity is true because it is an evidential faith. It is not a blind faith. It is an evidential faith. Remember, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you can't see, and our faith is in a person, not faith in faith, but faith in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of evidence for for Jesus. You just go back to the basics. Whenever you start to doubt, whenever you start to wonder, is this whole thing true? You go back to the basics. And we talked about the evidence that Jesus really lived. Non-Christian historians validate that, yes, Jesus of Nazareth really did live. And that he did perform miracles. He did fulfill prophecy. And we know that many prophecies were fulfilled when he died on the cross. And I just gave you just a sampling. He was crucified with with, with, with the transgressors. He could have been crucified with other Christians. Oh, no, it could have been crucified by himself. But it had to meet the biblical prophetic word. We know that the soldiers gambled for his clothes. If they didn't gamble for his clothes, he wouldn't have been the Messiah. If he wasn't pierced in the side, he wouldn't have been the Messiah. If that Roman soldier came as he broke the guy's tibias on the right, he broke the tibias on the left, so they couldn't get their breath anymore, and he came to Jesus, so they would have smacked his tibia broke his tibia, he would have not been the Messiah because no bone was going to be broken. The Passover lamb was a picture of that. No bone is broken in the Passover lamb. So prophecy it gives tremendous credence that this is all true. And do you know that no world religion, now please, just get this one. I've mentioned it like 5,000 times. This is 5,001. No world religion has one fulfilled prophecy. Christianity has many, 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 many fulfilled prophecies. Now, we also talked about when you start to doubt that God, just just go back to God's doubt eraser. Now, there's a reason that you doubt, and we talked about 24-7, we're being inundated with with negative information. We're being inundated with a worldview that is contrary to God. And it's a a strategy. If you tell somebody something long enough, uh, over and over, and you have the support of the government, you have the support of different things within the culture, people start to buy it. And we've been bombarded with a false worldview. So what you want to do as your gout eraser is go, again, back to the basics. We need to abide in Christ. If you want to overcome what is coming at you 24-7, we must abide in Christ. Make our home in Christ. Now, test question, since we're a small group, that word abide is the Greek word? Meno, good job. Yes, meno, to dwell, be at home with. Good job. And in order to abide in Christ, you must be abiding in his word. Make your home in his word. In John 8, 31, it says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free. Then we must spend time in prayer. And that's where he talked about 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Be joyful always. 
Pray continually. Keep God before you continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. Wherever you're going through in your life, this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. At least he's with you through all the stuff. I'm not saying every awful, horrific thing is, is the will of God. But it is the will of God that you go through that stuff with him. You go through that stuff with him. And then we are to practice the presence of God. And we talked about this. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. If you want to have the doubt erased in your mind, if you want to get away from all the worries of life and all this stuff that's coming at us 24-7, we must rest in our God. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 119, 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. I'll delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your word will be a priority to me. And then when you really get into the worry mode, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, you get in the Psalm chapter 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set him always before me. He is at my right hand. I will not be moved. No matter what is coming at me, I won't be moved. I'm not going to go into the worry. I am going to abide in my God. That's what we're going to do. Abide in Christ. Abide in his word. Keep God before me. Meditate on his precepts. And then finally, spend time with one another and encourage one another. You know, we need one another. That's why the body of Christ exists. That's why you're not little isolated units. We need one another to encourage one another. Even more, as it says in Hebrews 10, as we see the day approaching. So, so the benefit, there is a benefit of not walking in doubt. In verse 21, John made this statement. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. There's a benefit of walking and dwelling with our God, obeying his commandments, and that means we will receive from him. But we must, in order to receive, we must walk by faith. The promises to those who receive, you must be abiding in Christ, be abiding in his word. And then he says these words that shows whether you're really abiding, whether you're really part of the family of God. And John has said this many, many times in 1 John. He says this, how, and the question is this, how do we know we're really genuine? How do we know we're really saved? Because we obey our commanding officer. We obey the commands of God. That is how we know. That's a self-test for yourself. We believe in Jesus, we obey his commands, and we have love for the brethren. And all of this we are empowered to do because someone lives within you. Who is that someone that lives within you? He's the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. He's given you the power to say no to the flesh, yes to the Spirit, and to walk this thing out. Now this week we're going to talk about what discerners must do. And this is very important. We must test all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And as always, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to our being. Speak to our hearts things that we need to know. Things that you teach us, help us to apply. And may we not just be hearers, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. What discerners must do is test all things. You must discern truth and error. You must discern between truth and error. The word discern, get this one down. The word discern is this. It, it means to judge, examine, test if something is true. There's actually several different Greek words. One is anakarino, one is diakarino, one is dokimozo, but they all mean to test, to examine, to judge if something is true. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us, test all things. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We are encouraged to test, not just take something by something blindly that the culture is throwing at us. We test it to see if it matches up with the Word of God. Christians are expected to discern. And if something doesn't smell the pass the smell test, then you pause, you take a pause, and you say, Is this thing true? Does it match up with what God says? Now, why, why are Christians able to discern greater than anybody else in the world is because who lives in you? The Holy Spirit lives in you. Yes, he lives in you. He's called, you know what he's called in John 16, 13? The Spirit of truth. 
He is the spirit of truth. And guess what? He will guide you, guide you into all truth. That's right. That's right. He guides you into all truth. So a Christian, now hear this. You can be a Christian. You can have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. But if you're not walking in the spirit, if you're not abiding in Christ, if you're not doing the things that facilitates a close relationship, it's going to be very hard for you to discern. You're going to be overwhelmed by the world that's around you. So you have the spirit of, of truth. So to be discerning, to be guided by the Holy Spirit, you must be abiding in Christ, not abiding in some secret sin, not abiding in some self-life. If so, you're going to have an awful, awful time with discernment, awful time with discernment. Now, there is a spiritual gift called discerning of spirits. Remember, spiritual gifts we learned in our spiritual gift class are divine enablements distributed by the Holy Spirit to edify or to build up the body of Christ. Everyone that is born again of the Spirit has a spiritual gift to use within the body. That's why it's important to be together, within the body, so that we're together. We can enjoy each other's spiritual gift. Guess what? You bring your spiritual gift, and how many gifts come back at you? Multitudes. Be part of the body. Be part of the body. But there is a spiritual gift, the discerning of spirits. That's a heightened gifted ability given by the Holy Spirit to, to some people to discern to discern, to separate truth from lie. Stephen Cole says this about discerning the truth. Listen to what he says. P.T. Barnum made a fortune on the theory that a sucker is born every minute, and he has many disciples today. The Internet has only widened the door of opportunity for those that prey on the unsuspecting. Even among those claiming to be evangelicals who say they believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, false teaching abounds. False teaching abounds. Look, we have something that has come into our culture today called the emergent church. The emergent church. And no one can really define it exactly what it is, but it's a postmodern philosophy that tries to appeal to the world around them, to look like the world around them, to blend like the world around them, to, to, to appeal to them, to draw them in. And that there's a compromised theology. Listen to this. Christianity Today in March 2006 ran an article on a theologian who was at Bethel College but now teaches at Regent University. He suggests that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world's other major religions and that Christians should be open to learning from, being, from, from them being enriched by the Spirit's work in their religions. Now, what do you say to that? N-O spells what? No, that's false, okay? And guess what? These are professors teaching at seminaries that are teaching future pastors how to teach their people. That is what we are facing today. We're facing a diluted pastorate that is coming out and not giving the word of God to the people. That is important, very important to remember. So no. And again, this is a, a seminary professor and he's influencing young, impressionable minds. Paul Smith had this to say. This is Chuck Smith's brother. He wrote a book, The New Evangelicalism, and he quotes a guy named Don Larson. Don Larson says this in, the, in his book, Becoming Conversant with the Emergent Church. Tell me if this doesn't resonate. Once commented, okay, that the first generation fights for orthodoxy, the second generation assumes orthodoxy, and the third generation abandons orthodoxy. And it's about 75 years for a generation. We are in the period of time where the Western church, for sure, is abandoning orthodoxy. What is orthodox? Orthodox is what Jesus taught and the apostles taught in context without twisting and turning, making the scripture say what it says and dealing with it. Okay? So is there a need for spiritual discernment today? You bet there is. The, the true church is being bombarded like never before with ideas that are contrary to scripture, contrary to sound doctrine. False teachers led by spirits of deception are getting away with mesmerizing the unsuspecting, unsuspecting people. The church is now devoid, generally devoid. In America, in Europe, in England, it's awful. It's devoid of sound doctrinal teaching. People are fodder for the lie, embrace the lie, live out the lie, and think that all is well. And again, it starts in seminaries and Bible colleges where they're being People are being taught things that are not orthodox, not orthodox, who teach a skewed view of God. 
the Spirit expressly says in 1 Timothy 4.1, you guys all know this, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. There's deceiving spirits around us and doctrines of demons. Is there a need for discernment? You bet. Is there a need to test all things? You bet. Well, in verse 1, John starts out with this. Discerners must test the spirits. Beloved, that's us, that's the church, those are those who believe. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That's a present imperative. That is a command written in the present tense, meaning it's ongoing. Do not, ongoing, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many, many, many false prophets have gone into the world. That is what we are facing today. John was facing it at his time. But John had isolated information. He did not have this information boom that we have, where we have information coming at us from all over the world. He was in a little sequestered area where this was happening. We are now being bombarded from a whole world of inputs that are contrary to God. These professors that are, that are distorting our young people and future pastors, it's a tragedy. Look, in the world, there are two spirits. Down simple. Two spirits. There's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is in us. And there's the Spirit of Error. There's the Spirit of Lies. And guess what? Who's, who is the father of all lies? Satan is the father of all lies. He, and guess what? He's controlling the world system. Now, he has a leash. He can only do what God allows him to do. But he is called, listen to this, he's called the prince in the power of the air. Jesus said he is the ruler of this world, and he will be cast out. He is called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan offered him all the kingdoms of this world, and Jesus never said they're not yours to offer. He just rebuked him by saying the word of God. Many refuse to believe in the spirit realm. Many people think it's fantasy. Christians must be discerning regarding the demonic realm. There's two errors that people make, and I've mentioned this before. C.S. Lewis actually said this. This is his quote. Too much emphasis on the devil. You ever hear somebody say it's a demon of everything? It's the demon of lust. It's the demon of anger. It's the demon of this. It's the demon of that. You know what Jesus said? He said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, he says these words. Watch this. We credit the demons with so much. Watch what Jesus said. From within, out of the hearts of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. And he says, all these evils come from within and, and defile a man or make a man unclean. Look, at we're depraved. This is the depravity of man. What does the demonic realm do? Exacerbates our existing depravity. We have to own our own stuff. It's not always a demon. Now, demons are in there trying to mess it up and that sort of thing. We've got enough bad stuff in us that we've got to take credit for, for our own misery, our own things that we do. So two things, two errors people make. Number one is too much emphasis on the devil. And the other one is this. Don't believe in the devil at all. It's all make-believe. It's all fantasy. There's no real devil. I mean, look at the world we're living in. There's... <laughs> There is a devil. Both are simplistic. There's a spirit in this world of Antichrist, and there is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And these are in conflict with one another. Conflict with one another. So, now remember how false teachers and deceitful workers appear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we, you know, Satan is so slick. He's so smooth. Watch what he does. For such are false apostles. 2 Corinthians 11.13, such are false apostles, deceitful workers. And what do they do? Transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Oh, just because something looks like it's light, looks like it's true, looks like it's some sort of enlightenment, test the spirits, whether they are of God. Test the teacher. Your job, Christian, is to test the spirit. Daki Mozo, determine their purity and their value. What do you test it with? The Word of God. The Word of God. 
That's what you test it with. Ray Steadman points this out. This is kind of interesting. It is significant that, war- that this warning comes in the midst of John's discourse about love because false spirits tend to make a great deal about the subject of love. He says, every cult, every deviant group, every false movement makes its appeal in the name of love. Oh, don't they just look so nice when they knock on your door? Don't they just look so clean and they're shaven and they got shirts and ties on? They look so beautiful. All in the name of love. Test the spirits, folks. The false teacher may have a spirit of light, especially in industrialized cultures. The spirit presents in a way of life that seems to be the truth, the very way, but it is false. It is false. Remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, as an angel of light. Enlightenment. People go to enlightenment in very different places. Different places. Tarot cards, Ouija boards, channelers, palm readers. They promise you enlightenment and they bring you darkness and death. That's what they bring. Ephesians 5.11 says this, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You know somebody that's getting involved with that? Expose it for what it is. Expose it for what it is. And then be careful. There's a caution here. Oftentimes, people will say, we can validate something because it came true. It was a sign or wonder that came true. What happens in 2 Thessalonians? Chapter 2, verse, verse 9, we know that Antichrist comes with deceiving signs and wonders and powers and miracles. You do not believe it. Watch this, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. False teachers that do a sign or a wonder and encourage you into a false way, don't believe them. Moses was dealing with this way back in Deuteronomy. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder comes to pass. It comes to pass, and everybody goes, oh, this must be real. Of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods. Not just abandon your God, but let's, let's also, well, you can have your God, but let's go after these other ones too. Let's get involved. You can have your Christianity, but get into that occult stuff. That's going to help you be enlightened. Don't do it. Don't do it. So he says, go after gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord. And you know what you do with that prophet? You kill that false prophet. That's what, the, that's what that nation, that was that, that's what they were supposed to do. Kill that false prophet. Put away the evil from your midst. Exterminate the evil from your midst. It doesn't equivocate. We do not mess with the false, the occult, that sort of thing. It's real, it has information, people get titillated from it, and it is destructive. It is destructive. Flee from it. Flee from it. Discerners must test the spirits. Now, did you get that? What are discerners to do? Test the spirits. That's right. Okay. Verse 2 and 3, what discerners must do? Hey, you must test the teachers. Test the teachers. You should test me. You should test anybody you listen to, test whether they're saying what is true or not. Test the teachers. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Christ, every teacher that confesses that Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist in the world. Right from the beginning, the spirit of Antichrist. We'll talk about that more in just a second. At John's time, he was dealing with the Gnostics, who had a false view of Jesus. Had a false view of Jesus. They thought Jesus was spirit and not, not flesh. There was something called docetism, appear. Docetism simply means appear. He only appeared to be a human, but it was really a spirit. And John hit this right between the eyes, right in the beginning of 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1 and 4. You know what he says? We have seen him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. We have heard him. They ate with him on the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. Doubting Thomas touched his hands, put his hands in his side. You know what Thomas said after that? He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, now you believe, Thomas, because you have seen 
Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's us. We believe. We have not seen. We believe because the word is true. The word is true. That was John's time. Our time, there's false views of Jesus. All cults, we've said this many, many times. You should have this indelibly imprinted into your minds by now. All cults, all world religions deny the deity of Christ. Every cult, every world religion, without exception. What they do with Jesus, they make him less than who he is, God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate, God that became man to dwell on this earth. You know, Judaism says he's a false messiah. Mormons say that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Isn't that interesting? Jehovah's Witnesses say he's the archangel Michael. Muslims call him the, a prophet. Buddhism says he's a wise teacher. Scientology is another teacher. But he's not the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Very God of very God. That is who he really is. It's not all roads lead to heaven, folks. There's one road, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles, listen to this, the apostles and the deity of Christ. The apostles had no confusion about this. Listen to Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. This is in the NIV. I like this. See to it that no one, no one, how many? No one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition or the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God in flesh. He is God. 100% God, 100% man. Don't ask me how that works. But he's God incarnate. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 31, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, something interesting happens. He's on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And there's a storm that comes up. And the storm is fierce. Remember, these guys are fishermen. These guys are used to storms coming up. And they are in fear for their lives. And what is Jesus doing? He has a little pillow, a little pillow in the back of the boat. And he's sleeping on the pillow. And these guys are having a panic attack because the boat is filling up. They're sinking. And they start to say this, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You ever feel like that? Ever feel like you're in some sort of storm and you're going, Jesus, do you see where I'm at right now? And he says, yes, I do. And I am with you. Then he arose and he, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. That's what he says to us in our tumult. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. From a raging hurricane-tossed ocean sea to calm. Calm. And you know what happened? The disciples have a panic attack. Did you see that, Matthew? <gasps> did you see that? Did you see that? Oh, my goodness. Peter, Andrew, James, did you see what happened there? But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is he? He is God. He is God incarnate. He is God. Make no mistake about that. You know, the demons have no question about who, who, who Jesus is. Because in the very next chapter, in chapter 5, we see the demon-possessed man at Gadarenes. This demon-possessed man could not be confined. He could not be held with chains. And you know what happened when he saw Jesus? Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? See, the demons have no question who Jesus is. They know that he is God incarnate. They know that they have to submit themselves to him. But humans have all this problem. Who is this guy in the boat? They learned eventually who he was. After Pentecost, they became very powerful when the Spirit of God filled them. But remember, at the end of Matthew, we, we said last time, even some doubted at that point. It takes the Holy Spirit to change the, the course of a person's life. Every spirit. Every teacher, every world religion that denies who Jesus really is, has the spirit of Antichrist, is against Christ. The Antichrist spirit has been in the world since the fall. You know that? 
The Antichrist spirit has been in the world since the fall. This is not new. Now, what is the goal of the spirit of Antichrist? What is the goal? It's, it's to act against the real Christ, to prevent. Actually, there's a couple things here. Antichrist, what Satan really wants to do is to prevent Messiah from coming and accomplishing his purpose. What's his purpose? To seek and to save the lost, destroy the works of the devil. In Genesis chapter 6, his scheme was put into effect. More, it happened in Genesis 13 with the fall. But in chapter 6, he wants to pollute the gene pool of humanity. The daughters of men and the sons of God. And it was to destroy the gene pool so that all humanity would be polluted. Would no, no longer be any pure humans. His goal is to destroy the Jews. Destroy the, the lineage of the Messiah. Do not allow any of God's people to be able to plead for him to return. Remember in the book of Esther, there's a guy named Haman. And Haman wants to kill the Jews. And he's got this big plan that he's going to kill them. And it backfires. And Haman ends up dying and all the Jews get saved. But he wanted to kill every last Jew. That's what Satan wants to do. Why does he want to do that? Why the Holocaust of World War II? Why all this anti-Semitism? Satan's goal throughout history has been this, to exterminate the Jewish people. But why? Because the Jewish people have to do two things. They have to confess their national sin of rejecting the Messiah, Hosea 5.15, and they have to plead, plead for him to return, Matthew 23.37 through 39. Remember he says, you will see me no more until you say, Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They have to plead for Messiah. If there are no Jews left, there's no one to plead for him to return. Listen, is prophecy, teaching prophecy important? Yes, it is. Even though it's been dumbed down in the majority of the church today, it is exceedingly important that we know prophecy. Do you know what the first prophecy was? The first prophecy? Satan knows prophecy. It started in Genesis 3.15 that the Messiah will crush the head of the serpent. You'll bruise his heel, Satan. You'll bruise Jesus' heel, but he will crush your head. He'll put a death blow to you. This is called the pro-evangelium. It's pro means this. First, evangelium is good news. This was the first good news that Jesus Christ, Messiah, God would send a redeemer into this world and crush the head of Satan. Satan will never accomplish his, his goal of exterminating the Jews. He's persecuted them. They've been dispersed like no other nation for 2,500 years, dispersed in a miracle of miracle of miracles. May 14, 1948, they became a nation. No other nation in the history of the world has ever been kicked out of their homeland, dispersed throughout the world, and 2,500 years later, go back into their homeland and become an entity, a nation again. The Jewish people are evidence there is a God, and he loves his people. They regathered. An amazing thing. A spirit of Antichrist permeates this world today with the expressed goal of destroying his chosen people, the Jews, and those who are grafted in the church. That's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy us. Your protection from Satan's attempts to destroy is this. First of all, have a clue. Know Bible prophecy. Know what's going on. Know what God expects of you. And then beware of the deception. Don't just go around like the little monkeys. Can't see, can't hear, can't speak. I'm just not here. It's not hurting me. No. We want to be aware. Be aware of the false teachers that masquerade as ministers of righteousness. And then, folks, stick together and study the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Study the truth of God. Discerners must test the teachers. Test what is being taught. Make sure, Bereans, what is being taught is congruent with the Word of God. Verse 4, discerners, guess what? You have to test yourself. You have to test yourself. Am I really in this thing? Is this, am I really a Christian? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You must be absolutely sure that the Spirit of God resides within you. 
You must not live in fear of the spirit of Antichrist that is in this world today. Why? Because you are of God. God owns you. You belong to him. Secondly, you have overcome them, the false teachers. That word overcome, we've mentioned this before. Nikeo, get the word Nike, means victory. You are a victor. You are a victor. And know this, the absolute second, the moment that you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment you believed, Satan lost all rights to you. You're an overcomer. You're a victor. And in Colossians 1.13, we have this word. Listen to this. We've been here many times. Your Bible might just flop right to this verse. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That is, the Father has delivered us through the, through the Son. Father has delivered us from the power of darkness. And I've mentioned many times, I hope you've written this down in your Bible, that that word delivered is the word rumai, R-U-O-M-A-I. And that means to draw with force, with violence, to drag out of danger, ripped from Satan's hands. That's what that means. Rumai. He has delivered us. The Lord Jesus, for everyone that has says yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has ripped out of the hands of Satan. And he has conveyed him into the kingdom of the Son of his love, whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. Satan has no rights to you. You are of God. You have overcome the false teachers. Satan has no right to you. And guess what? God has put his seal upon you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit is resident within you. And he's greater than any false teacher, any false prophet, any false world system, anything that comes at you with lies. And he is the one that makes you a discerner of the truth. A discerner of the truth. And never, ever become complacent, lazy, or apathetic. A must for every follower of Jesus Messiah. Everyone who claims the name, you must do this. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 through 6. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Examine what your weaknesses and your strengths. Do some introspection. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith with your genuine. Test yourself. Dr. Moza, are you genuine or are you not? Do, not? do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Question mark. Unless indeed you are disqualified, a docimos, disqualified, you're not genuine. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. He says, test your life. Do you have the marks that you're a real Christian? Remember in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, we had the growth ladder. Adding to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. If you do these things, you're going to be in. It demonstrates that you're sanctified. It demonstrates that you're in a sanctification process. Growth, growth. Discerners must test yourselves. And then verse 5 and 6, and we will be through. Discerners first, test the spirits, test the teachers, test themselves. And then the discerners must do this, test the followers of the teachers. Those people that are coming to you that say, oh, i got a word from God for you. i got a message for you. Oh, test the teachers. Or test the followers of the teachers, verse 5 and 6. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. A teacher's followers will reveal what a teacher teaches. False teachers will come from the world. Three times John talks about they speak of the world. False teachers, they are of the world. Their message appeals to the world appeals to the flesh, and the world loves what they have to say. But true teachers, with Jesus' teaching, the apostles' teaching, the focus is the word of God and appeals to the spirit of the person, not the flesh of the person. Big difference. True believers are going to be at home in the word, 
enjoy hearing the scriptures exposited, and love doctrinal teaching. Now, you, most people say, oh, man, they're, they're, they're so deep there. Oh, I can't, that's so boring. And, and they go for, why, they go for 40 minutes straight. I can't believe it. I want the 10-minute cliff notes. You know, I just want the short version, the short version. And, folks, people will gravitate to this like mad. He who is not of God does not hear us. What do the majority of people want today? What do the majority of Americans want today? Most want to have their ears tickled. And we know this verse so well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 5. Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful understanding. For the time will come when they will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears or their tickling ears want to hear. Look at what do people want today in a church? Tell me, tell me things that are going to make me feel good. They want, what's the guy's name? Tony Robbins. He gives those motivational things. They want a Tony Robbins talk. They want to, they want to come out and just, I feel so good about myself. I feel wonderful. I'm terrific. I'm just terrific. Everything is okay. I'm uplifted. And I can go about my life just the way that I am because I'm wonderful just as I am. Just as I am. And people will gravitate towards something that confirms their beliefs. You want a social gospel? You want, you want to go someplace? We're going to save the planet. We're going to save the seals. We're going to save the environment. You can find a church like that and ignore the Lord Jesus. There's a, the social gospel is very popular today. It's not that we aren't to be good stewards of the planet and good stewards of what God has given us or that we're not to help the poor and that sort of thing, but the focus is Jesus Christ. An offshoot of that is, is our lives affecting the world around us. People search for a place to tell them that they're okay. They're okay. True Christianity, listen to me, true Christianity is this. It's a change from the old me the way I was, I'm not okay, into the new me, becoming more and more like Christ. That's true Christianity. It's not saying, I'm okay the way I am. You just stay the way that you are. That is not what true Christianity is. True Christianity is change. Changing from old to changing to new, and it's a, and it's a change that will take your whole life. That whole sanctification process is your whole life. From the time you're saved to the time he takes you out of here. Now. Oftentimes, people will say this, I go to this church because of the programs. Oh, they have most, so many programs. It's got programs all over the place. And then I've heard this one, the worship is great. Oh, they have the lights, and they even have the smoke. It's like going to a concert. I love it. It's just so terrific, and it, it, it vibrates me. Go get vibrated by the worship. Instead of the focus being on God, the focus is on me, what I'm getting out of this worship. Look at worship is the, the Anglo-Saxon word is worthship. You know, it, it's giving value to. We're giving value to the Lord Jesus. When we worship, we're not so much listening to the person next to us and going, "Oh man, is that pathetic singing? I can't believe that." No, our focus is on God. Our focus is on God. It's directed towards Him. And that's not all about us. It's not all about us. Or how about this? I like to go because, oh, the teaching is 10 minutes long. He never goes longer than 10 minutes. And then we get to go. Oh, it's so terrific. It's light. It's funny. He tells me I can have my best life now. And it's how to have a lot of stuff, how to have money. Oh, you can be wealthy. It can be great here in this place. How to have success, how to be influenced, how to influence everybody, how to be happy, 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 happy. How just to be so happy here. And the masses will flock to this and say, I'm okay just the way I am, and we are not. We are in a process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. What does God want? What does God expect of you? What does he expect of us as the body of Christ? He expects this, that you are immersed in sound doctrine, particularly at this epoch of time when we have spirits coming at us that are false. And 
like never before, inputs like never before in the history of earth. We must be immersed in sound doctrine. Not to be looking for ears to be tickled. And how do we do this? We study the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, 27. Paul said to those Ephesian elders, I have not shunned to to teach to you the whole counsel of God. What does that mean? You don't cherry pick just the good stuff, what you think is good. No, you give the whole thing. You give the holiness of God, the wrath of God. You actually talk about sin and heaven and who gets to go. And hell, and who has to go there? The awful things. How about denying yourself, taking up your cross and following? You don't hear that. You don't hear denying yourself. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. How about being good stewards of what you have? Taking care of what God, you don't own anything. It's not your money. It's God's. We're responsible to represent him. Be immersed in sound doctrine. And then God expects this of you. To worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. John 4.24, God is spirit and those who worship him must, must, this is not optional, must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does this mean? Well, we worship God as he is revealed in scripture, not how we make him up in our minds. Have you ever talked to anybody who says, my God would do this? My God will accept all of this stuff. My God would never do that. And it's not the God of the Bible. They've made up God. they got a little bitty God they put in the pocket, and they take him out every now and then. They go, this is what my God will do. Well, he's too big to put in your pocket. He is God. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He rules. It's his rules, and it's his way. And it's the right way. Know this. Those who are of the truth, who worship in spirit on truth, will be countercultural Christians. You know that, don't you? You're not going to just fit right in like a hand in a glove. You're going to be edgy to the rest of the world. Why different kingdoms, different, different kings? We cannot blend with this world, folks. We cannot blend with this world. Just a summary statement. Those who know God are followers of the true teacher, Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Those who are not from God do not hear the true teacher, Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 20, 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and follow me. That's who I want to hear. I don't want to hear all these false spirits in the world. Through all this false stuff that's coming out, Jesus is speaking to his people, and his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the master talking to me. I want to hear the master speaking. I'm, I'm, I'm keenly, keenly listening for his voice. I want to hear his voice. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. Conclusion. Conclusion. What discerners must do is test all things. Test the spirits. We talked about that. Test the teachers. Test yourself and test the followers of the teachers. What are they actually learning? And then this. Discerners must judge, test, and examine if something is in line with Jesus, who is the truth. That's what you do. Discerning, to discern is this, is to know that something is in line with the name of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the will of Jesus, who Jesus really is. His name reflects who he is. Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord is salvation. HaMashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one in line with who he is. His name is so important. To discern, one must know Jesus intimately. Be acquainted with his name. Be acquainted with who he is. Discerners know about the name of Jesus. Alan Carr wrote this. He summed up the name of Jesus. Tell me if this doesn't resonate with your spirit. He is exalted in his name. We are told that he has been given a name that is above every name. What is that name? The Greeks knew him as Kurios Isos Christos. The Hebrews called him Yeshua HaMashiach. The redeemed saints of God just know him as Jesus the Christ, my Savior, my Lord. Jesus came. Jesus came to save us, folks. And it is his name that charms our fears, bids our sorrows cease, 
is music to the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace, that all will sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring, sing forth the royal diadem, and crown him, what? Lord of all. He's king of kings, he is lord of lords, he is God. The Gaithers, again, one of my favorite 70s groups, I don't know that they actually sang, made this song, but it makes me think of them. There's something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master. Oh, when you know him. He is your master. He is your savior. He's Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. Oh, but there's something about that name. It's the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, test all things. Are they in line with the name of Jesus? Discerners know the name of Jesus, folks. Discerners know that they know that they know the name of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, who he really is. And discerners are to test all things. Folks, there really is something about that name. Would you agree? Yeah, there's something about that name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study the Word of God. Lord, what a privilege. What an honor. Thank you for each person that carved out time to hear the Word of God. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have spoken to each person here. I am confident of that because I know that your Word does not return void, that it will fill the purposes for which it was sent. So, Lord, touch us each in our area of need. Lord, bring healing where healing is needed. Bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. Bring hope where hope is needed. You are Jesus. You are our Savior. You are God. You can do all things. Help us to walk in concert with you. Help us to hear your voice and obey your commands. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.